0: Hey, everyone. Welcome to the Refuel Team Fairchild podcast. Our goal with this podcast is to increase connectedness amongst Team Fairchild members. Every episode, you'll be hearing from different people around the base discussing topics such as leadership, success, failure, personnel programs, resiliency, and much, much more. We hope you enjoy. All right, everybody. Welcome back to the next episode of Refuel Team Fairchild uh, today my guest is Tech Sergeant Bibican from the Chaplain Corps. How are you doing today?
1: Doing well, sir. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, uh, I asked Sergeant Bibican to come on the podcast after I heard him give a talk to the Senior NCO Professional Enhancement Seminar. I think it was, right? Yes, sir. Um, he, he actually comes over quite a bit and does the crisis yeah. intervention class for us. That day, I think the the panel fell through, right? Yes, sir. So he asked me if he could share a story that of of a situation that you went through when resili- resiliency played a huge factor in in your life. And so I said, absolutely. And I remember at the end of the story, I was just kind of in shock or in awe about of the story. So I asked him to come on the podcast because I thought this would be a really good uh, story for others to hear. And he gracefully agreed. So. Without further ado, sir, um, I'll turn it over to you. Just go ahead and introduce yourself, give a little bit of a background, and we can just we can head into your story.
1: So, yes, sir. So again, my name is Tech Sergeant Bibikin. I am from the Chaplain Corps. Uh, before, prior to uh, my my time in the Chaplain Corps, I was a maintainer on the flight line, and that's kind of where my story begins. Uh, in uh, October 2010, my son was born, and uh, came out perfectly healthy. And around eight weeks old. Um, My flight chief comes running out. He's a master sergeant. Comes running out to the expeditor truck, and he said, "Hey, is Aaron Bibbickan on this truck?" And uh, I replied that I was there, and I knew it was bad. I knew something was going on. And he said, "You need to call home. Something isn't isn't right." I couldn't understand your wife. She was super distraught on the phone, and so I immediately got out of my coveralls and uh, changed out. Tried to call my uh, my wife at home. Didn't answer. So I was like, you know what, I'm just going to get in my car. I'm going to head home and try to contact her on the way. And so what I did, um, she was on her way to Gulf Coast Medical Center and said that I needed to get there quick, that my son had stopped breathing on her at home. So I rushed to the hospital. They told us everything's normal. They ran a bunch of tests and said everything's normal. Take him home, lay him on his back. Uh, we went against doctor's orders and began sleeping with him on our chest. Every night we would take turns in a recliner that we had. And so I was trying to get as much sleep as I could, obviously working on the flight line. And uh, around 14 weeks or so, we found out that his epiglottis was three times too large. So uh, we went to Atlanta. What's that epiglottis, sorry? Um, It's the the flap in the back of the throat that controls fluid from going down the wrong pipe. So when okay. you sw- swallow something and you start coughing, it's mm-hmm. because it went down the wrong way. And everybody gotcha. says, oh, it went down the wrong way. It's because the epiglottis didn't close okay. to prevent that from happening. And his was too large, you said? Correct. Yes, large. sir. Okay. So uh, we went to Atlanta and had the surgery done and uh, get home. I returned to the flight line. Two days later, we're back in the hospital again. And uh, so they immediately took, shipped us over to Pensacola to Sacred Heart. And uh, they did some tests and the pulmonary specialist came in and he said, hey, I just want to do a bronchoscopy, make sure that everything's okay. Um, So during the swallow test that they did, the tech bumped the machine and saw that he had a malrotation of his intestines so what that is is uh, if your appendix is, on, is supposed to be on the right side, his was on the left. And so prior to that procedure to correct that, he said, I want to do a bronch just to see and make sure he doesn't have anything in his lungs as well due to the epiglottis surgery. So he went in did a bronchoscopy. They fixed the rotation of the intestines. They did an appendectomy and removed his appendix since it was on the wrong side. And uh, about nine o'clock at night, I was taking a shower at the Ronald McDonald house where we were staying for him to have this procedure done. And it's uh, my wife, and she said, You got to get back up here to the hospital. It's not good. So I immediately rushed, got dressed, and uh, headed up to the hospital. And the doctor is already there in civilian clothes. And if you've ever gone through something like this, when you see a doctor in civilian clothes, you know it's probably not a good sign. And uh, he proceeded to tell us that my son had pneumocystis pneumonia. And that's the the pneumonia that cancer and AIDS patients catch and uh, pass away from. So whenever they say that the individual passed away from a complication of pneumonia, if they have AIDS or cancer, that's usually the pneumonia that they catch that uh, ultimately ends their their life. Um, So he immediately tells us that he ran the test seven different times, it came back positive each time. And so a bunch of doctors came in, it was like 13 specialists that we were being seen by. So they get the pneumonia cleared up in the hospital, um, go back to the flight line and two or three days later we're back in the hospital again and Gulf Coast medical center there in Panama city would no longer treat him. So they sent us over to Pensacola again. And this happened nine different times and finally the pulmonary specialist uh, said, you know, I never asked you what you did in the military. And, uh, so I began to tell him and uh, he said, I need all your MSDS, your material safety data sheets. Um, from all the chemicals that you're exposed to on a daily basis. So I remember going back to the flight line once they cleared up the last pneumonia in the hospital, I remember going back to the flight line and uh, immediately ran over and uh, started checking the MSDS. And as soon as I started opening up up that binder, all these people start swarming around me and asking me, what are you doing? Uh, and, And I informed them what I had to do for the doctors that were treating my son. And, uh, so I gathered all those documents. Once I had that completed, I called the doctor and he said, I need to see you tomorrow in my office. And this was probably around 2.30 in the afternoon. So next day, that's super short notice, especially being military. That's super short notice, uh, to, to leave. So luckily my, my chief and my, or my sorry, my first sergeant and my commander were on board with it. So we went over. And he looked at the MSDS and he said, you can no longer do this job. We can't confirm, but we also can't deny that the chemicals may be harming your son. Though they aren't harming you, they could be harming him. So, so, so sorry, a couple questions said, I got. So,
0: did, did, did he... What did, he, what did he have that was causing that, that was causing the chemicals, that they think was causing the chemicals? To... So
1: they're not sure. Um, he did have an immune deficiency, come to find out later on. Okay. Oh, so you um, you get into that? Yes, okay, I'm sorry. Yes. I'll show no, no, you're <laughs> fine. I'll um, show up let you keep going. So the, uh, the first sergeant commander, uh, I immediately left there once I gave them the MSDS and he released me from the flight line for a three-month period just to run some tests and see if he got any more pneumonias or any other illnesses during this time. So we did a trial, if you will, of, uh, three months and magically, uh, my son never had any other issues, no, no more pneumonias or any of that stuff. And so, uh, we continued going to doctors and he was also being seen by a immunologist and geneticist, uh, there at Pensacola and, uh, they couldn't figure out, they were like, you know, sometimes we run his blood work, his IgG is low, his IgA is a little low. What are IgG and IgA? So, IgA, I can't remember because he wasn't uh, A deficient. He was G deficient, which is the immunoglobulin. So, he was immunoglobulin deficient. So, his uh, blood work, whenever they would do it, his numbers would be low. What Um, what does that do? What does that mean? And so, basically, his immune system was suppressed. Okay. um, And they were saying it could be because of his, you know having surgeries and issues early so early on in <clears throat> life that it could have just been from that, but it also could have been a, a prolonged issue uh, that they were trying to determine exactly what was going on. Okay. So uh, once they couldn't really figure out what was going on with him, they referred us to Birmingham UAB, our university, of Alabama, Birmingham, and we met Dr. Atkinson there and uh, he was his immunologist for about another 15 months. And he was saying, you know what? We can't really figure out what's going on with him, but this isn't going to hurt. This is actually going to help him. If he is, in fact, having an immune deficiency, this is going to help. So they put him on immunoglobulin, which is uh, if you donate plasma, they take that plasma from a uh, 1,000 different candidates. And for those that can't produce their own antibodies, they essentially put 5 cc's in each leg. and he's able to. Pr- and since he can't produce antibodies on his own, they produce antibodies on his behalf so every monday i would have to give him these this uh injection every monday and uh for a while we did it in the hospital and at gulf coast they had been willing and and to accept that uh treatment but only that they wouldn't they wouldn't see him for any kind of sicknesses or illnesses or anything it was just specifically to administer that uh that medicine in his legs. So if you don't mind me asking,
0: so that seems like the second hospital that kind of was hesitant to treat him.
1: Yes, sir. W- what was the reason for that? Did they tell you why? Uh, they they didn't really know why. It wasn't... Sacred Heart's a, a good research facility, a good research hospital, but they're not the top of the line. And so they were trying to really figure out uh, the best facility to be able to treat him across the board. Okay. Um, so basically, they didn't have the capability to do it down there. They didn't want to... Okay, yes. I got you. and so yeah. after a while there, every Monday we would go to the hospital and we would uh, administer the medicine, and then he was doing great. And uh, then all of a sudden, um, I was told either you, you need to separate or you need to retrain. And so both my first sergeant and my, my commander who, who told you that? Um, the, the Air Force essentially told me that, hey, you need to re- retrain or you need to separate because you can't do this job anymore. Right, okay, because you, you could be on the flight yep, line and run correct. all the chemicals, so they yep. were telling you you need to do one of Yes, better. sir. Gotcha, okay. So uh, at that time, my commander and first sergeant, they were the ones that advised me of the information. I, I don't know where the information got flooded, you know, how it flowed down to the chain of command, but I do know that they met with me and said, hey, this is kind of where we're at. Uh, what are your thoughts? Are you wanting to stay in or you want to separate? And I said, well, I want to stay in, uh, especially given, you know, Tricare prime and, and, you know, having free healthcare because my son's first surgery was uh, $120,000 and his second surgery was 149,000 for the amount of rotation of the intestine. So, uh, during this time I I told him I wanted to retrain, they were full support and they said, Hey, if you need anything, please don't hesitate. Give us a call. Come by our office. You have direct access from this point forward until uh, you you are, in fact, retrained. So um, I was back and forth, obviously, during this time. I was back and forth between hospitals and having my son seen to try to figure out what's going on with him and figure out if he does, in fact, have an immune deficiency while he's also taking the immunoglobulin. They were so still trying to figure out from, the underlying. From the time
0: it first started to this point, how long is that period?
1: Uh, the whole time it was I was in and out of hospitals for the first 10 months of his life and uh, each stint in the hospital was at least 15 days the longest stint was a month and a half Mm -hmm. and uh, yeah just a really really tough time Uh, wondering if I'm going to be able to maintain my job or or separate or retrain, all of that. And then, like, you know, his situation, what was going on with him, right. just a lot of stress during that time. For you. I mean, you you were brand, not brand in the Air Force, but pretty still pretty. Yes, sir. I was at, at A1C here. at the time. Yeah. And uh, I actually found out, uh, <coughs> coincidentally, during one of the hospital stays there in Pensacola, um, it was July. I'll never forget. It was um, July Fourth of July weekend, and I couldn't celebrate because my son was in the hospital. And I remember my my first sergeant commander came out, and uh, my son was doing really bad. He was on a feeding tube. Uh, He had tubes going everywhere. And um, I'll never forget, they came in, and he said, uh, so you've already been released. At this point, I'd already been released from the flight line for a bit. And uh, he said, so what we're going to do is um, I have some news to tell you. Some good news. And this is the kind of news that we like to present to you. You've made a uh, senior airman below the zone. Oh, wow. And uh, I was like, well, I, I, I'm out of uniform. I don't even know how this works. Being, you know, a young airman, I was like, I, I don't know how this works. I, I should be in uniform for this, I feel like. And they're like, no, don't worry about it. Uh, we're actually here to see some uh, somebody else that's um, at UAB. Mm. And uh, my supervisor actually had gotten in a really bad truck accident. Oh, wow. And um, they were there to see him and on their way back, they decided to stop in and say, hey, and see how we were doing. And um, so I get back to, uh, get back to Tyndall and um, starting the retrain process and and trying to go through all this. And uh, the commander tells me, hey, when you get back, you're due for a PT test, how long do you need? And I told him 30 days and he said, you've been gone for six months. Uh, Are you sure this is, this is what you want to do? And I was yes, sir. I'm going to put myself in the program, the get fit program, and I'm going to do what I got to do to get back in shape. And I'm not going to let you down. I'll make sure of it. So I got back and uh, he said, Hey, when you get back, pass your PT test and we'll talk. I I have an opportunity for you. It's like, okay, sir. So I get back, put myself in the program. He gives me 30 days to do so. And, uh, he would show up occasionally at 5 AM to make sure I was there. And he was like, well, I'll be like, Uh I, I, you're actually here doing what you said (laughs) that you were going to do. Yeah. Uh, yes, sir. For sure. I I know what I need to do as an airman and, and, you know, and as a member of the military, I know what I need to do to stay in shape and everything. So I did what he asked and I made an 87 on my PT test. (laughs) Um, and it was so in his eyes, it was so exponential that he actually, during roll call, he actually, uh, called me aside and asked me to come up front. And he said, uh, our PT test fail rate is really high right now. And this guy has every excuse in the world to fail a PT test or to not do what he should, supposed to do. Mm-hmm. He said, for others, I don't know what it is, but he's like, hopefully maybe this is some motivation and inspiration to those that have failed or you know have a PT test coming up and you know you haven't been doing what you're supposed to do. Airman Bibikin took it upon himself to enroll himself in the Get Fit program. Usually, I have to tell people, hey, unfortunately, you failed a PT test. You've got to go to the Get Fit program. And uh, he said, but he voluntarily put himself in it for 30 days and made it 87. Mm -hmm. So, you have no excuse. And I felt really bad, obviously. Uh, I I didn't feel comfortable with that situation. Yeah, you weren't ready for that. But it was kind of outside of my hands. Yeah. And uh, right after that, he said, hey, I want to see you up in my office. Okay. So I went up to his office and he said, you've held up your end of the bargain. Now it's my turn to hold up my end. I have a position for you in commander support staff if you're willing to take it. Yes, sir, for sure. I, I would love to work for you. So I was uh, in charge of the EPRs, OPRs, and decorations mm-hmm. for our unit. And um, during this time, I, I arrived first day in the office and my superintendent, our flight chief, meets with me And, uh, he dismisses everybody else from the office and it's just him and I, and, uh, he tells me, um, that my vacation is over, um, that all of the leave that I've been able to take and take care of my son, um, has been a privilege, um, and an opportunity and that ends, um, I'm not sure his reasoning behind that, but, um. But yeah, that was that was pretty disheartening as a as a young senior airman uh, to hear, especially from your your flight chief or, or superintendent who you feel should support you through something like I was yeah. going through. Um, wow. So then a few weeks passed by, and my first sergeant, and my commander, meet with him uh, after some other issues had taken place. I met, met with him and explained to him my situation and uh, asked him to apologize. And it was a very backhanded apology um obviously you know he wasn't very willing to apologize to me he felt like he was in the right and um you know if you're going by military I mean yes he had a right to say what he did um but taking into account somebody's situation goes a long way Mm -hmm. and uh so I get past that we're we're on good terms again and then my chief comes in as I'm trying to retrain and he tells me, Aaron Bibbickin, they're not going to retrain you. Have you thought about your future outside of the military? And I said, I have. And uh, he said, well, I've been in 28 years and I'm telling you that they're not going to retrain you. They spent $120,000 for you to do this job. And you really think that they're going to let you do another job and send you back to school to learn another job? Who are you? Who do you think you are? And I was like, no, sir, it's not about that. I don't think I'm privileged or anything like that. I just know my work ethic. I know the kind of airman that I am, and I've won awards and all this stuff. I even made below the zone, senior uh, senior airman below the zone, and uh, I just feel like the Air Force is going to keep me just because I can't do this job doesn't mean I can't do something else. Mm-hmm. So... I put in my retrain, I submit my retrain package. I had I tried to do an exception to policy that didn't go through. I wasn't in my window to retrain. So that was another hiccup. Um, so they did an exception to policy that got kicked back a week later, did an exception to procedure and that got kicked back. Then we did exception to policy and procedure that didn't work. So I was like, Oh boy, I'm doomed. Like I should have listened to my chief. I, I I'm, I'm doomed. I'm getting out. I'm separating at this point. And, um, so then uh, I looked up in the AFI and I saw that there was two different codes. One was a disqualified airman for cause. So if you fail your CDCs or failure to progress or adapt to military lifestyle, mm-hmm. you would retrain as a disqualified airman for cause. But if it's something outside of you and your control, um, example would be like all the medical stuff that I had gone through. Yeah. Um, something that you don't have control of that you can't help.
0: Like uh, your son being terrific. obviously affected by the chemicals that you're around all yes, day. Yes, yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: And so uh, I go and I apply as a disqualified airman, not for cause, and I get accepted. So they, the AFPC Air Force Personnel Center says, hey, pick five jobs just like you did whenever you came in the military, and we'll make a decision based on what, what's available. Yeah. So I got to tell you real quick,
0: uh, I deal with that all the time, the disqualified retraining. And it was really hard not to chime in and ask you why they didn't just submit – the why they didn't pu- put you under the AFSC, like disqualify you from AFSC. Because there's a whole process for, yes, that whole, for, for cases yes, just sir, like this. Is. So they um, had never just so seen you know, either. it was really hard not to chime in uh, yes, and kind of go, oh, you should have done this and that. But it sounds like you did anyway, so good. Yes, I'm glad sir. that finally – because the whole time I'm thinking to myself, why – yeah, why didn't they just do that? But it sounds like they eventually did mm. that for you. Okay. Yes, sir.
1: Yeah, at first uh, they had never seen this happen right. where I was at. At, at Tyndall, I guess that had never happened. So yeah. everybody was kind of like, "What? what is that? What does this mean? The disqualify. so then they efficacy, had to look yeah. up the, the actual AFI meaning yeah. or definition behind it. And they were like, oh, this is what we probably should have done in the beginning. A year ago, yeah. <laughs> yes. yeah. So uh, it took me about a year and a half to retrain. And yeah. during that time, a couple other things happened. So then I get notified that I was going to be a helicopter mechanic working okay. on the same chemicals. Is, that yeah, I would. So I was like, well, that's, that doesn't make any sense. I can't do this. So I called AFPC, said, hey, can't do this job. Uh, literally about a week later, I got a notification. You have 30 days to separate. Huh? So I, I am freaking out. I put down a uh, chaplain assistant as my number one. I put down logistical planning, which I would have had to retake the uh, ASVAB. Mm-hmm. And I put down security forces. Uh, or no. Um, what was it? It wasn't security forces. Um, I was just complaining, uh, paralegal. Okay. So I would have had to take the, as bad for that too. So I was like, well, you know, I'm dead in the water here. So I went home, contacted my wife and said, Hey, we have 30 days. I have all this stuff to do. She's like, where are you at? And I was like, my leadership sent me home because we have so much in the house that we have to get done before we move out. So, I was sitting at home and I'm thinking a, and I'm like, you know, I felt like I was going to be accepted as a, as a retraining and I would eventually find a job. So here I am sitting all by myself at home and contemplating, what do I do? Um, and kind of having like a, a moment of overwhelming, yeah, um, that- overwhelming sensations of, oh Lord, like how am I going to support his medical needs? Mm-hmm. Um, Cause we were given a life expectancy of five years. Oh wow! And uh, so that was pretty, you know, Every troubling year. as well. Yeah. And uh, so I got on the phone with AFPC and I was like, "Hey, for 2012, there's 28 positions available for chaplain assistant for 2013. 23- or no, I'm sorry, for 2012 there weren't any left, but for 2013 mm-hmm. there was 28 left. Yeah. And could you yeah. check and make sure that you guys got the right numbers?" And they're like, no, we're looking at 2012 because that's the year that we're in. And I said, I understand that. However, per the AFI, it says that from the moment I get accepted into that job, the school has to be within 120 days of that acceptance of that career. And I said, but here's the kicker, though. The next class isn't until next year. And I was like, so you really should be looking at 2013 numbers. Well, hold on a minute. So let I let's go – I'm going to go verify and make sure that this info, information is correct. I was like, yes, please do. Yeah. So, so one thing I
0: want to point out real quick, it's it, good on you for, for doing that because so, – read the AFIs. That's why I tell everyone. Yes, read the sir. AFIs and know what it says because yes, for sure. not everybody knows what it says all the time. You, you can You can really – I've had a few times where I'm like, well, hold on. It says this though, and then people go, oh, it does, and then and then all of a sudden they, yes, yeah, they go with what you said in the first
1: place. So yeah, good 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 on you for that, yes, sir. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. They came back on the phone after 24 minutes of being on hold. <laughs> they came back and said, uh, yes, yeah. the longest 24 minutes of my life. Yeah. Bet, yeah. And uh, they came back and said, yeah, you were right. We're looking at 2012 numbers. Your next class doesn't start until January of 13. Yeah. So you're accepted. And I, I didn't even know what to say. I, I paused and said, um, you're, you're for sure, this is legit. Yes, this is legit. Go ahead, do what you need to do to retrain. Wow. So uh, during this time uh, beforehand, uh, let me back up just a little bit. So before this happened, um, I, I got news that my son, as I told you, was uh, had a life expectancy of five years. And so they could still couldn't figure out what was going on with him, if it was the chemicals or not, if it was any all this other stuff. And then a uh, Bio-Envi- bioenvironmental came and met with me in a conference room. And it was just from me. the Air Force? Or yes. Like, okay. yes, sir, from the Air Force. Came in, and we were all in the conference room. My commander sitting there, my first sergeant sitting there, uh, and bioenvironmental. And they came up with this plan that they had and the plan and they hadn't talked to his medical doctors whatsoever before this conversation Mm -hmm. and uh, they're sitting around the table and they said this is what we plan on doing during this trial period of three months we're wanting you to come in civilian clothes change out into your coveralls work on the flight line get out of your coveralls take all your gear off put in a biochemical bag biohazard bag drop it off at our lab we're going to run all the the testing on it to see what, um, residue is left on the, on your uniform after leaving work. And we're going to test that to see if it's, you know, could be the chemicals and you're going to do this for three months. And, uh, that's when I, I, I was dumbfounded and, and honestly was in shock that this was happening. And so I asked them cause I don't know all the medical terminology and all right. this stuff going on. So I asked if they could contact his pulmonary specialist out of Pensacola And so they did, and they were on a a phone conference with him as I'm sitting there. And he said, and he basically explained to them in medical terminology, and he kind of broke it down to me later on. And he said basically what they were wanting to do was test to see if those chemicals are causing the issue. But all the while they're not thinking about your son, they're thinking about them. And you,
0: yeah, you're can you and I was an asset. on the flight line, yes, yes. Right. right, right. And
1: right. so, being a vital asset and having spent all that money on my training, I i totally understood that, yeah. But his pulmonary specialist essentially told them that you have to think about the son, not the member, because if he works on the flight line, there's a, a good chance that his son's going to continue getting yeah. these pneumonias. Well, because you said as soon as
0: you came off it, started Correct. to get better, so yes, sir. I mean, again, I'm not a medical specialist. Correct. But
1: that would tell me that that was it was that stuff, you know. Yes, sir. Yeah. So, right. giving that given that uh, explanation, they're like, you know what? Okay, we're gonna follow suit. We're just gonna leave this guy alone. Let him do what he needs to do. Yeah. So I get picked up for retraining. I met with uh, the wing chaplain there at Tyndall, along with the superintendent, and they both interviewed me. And there was a 250 question packet that they're supposed to go through. Mm. Uh, and upon sharing my story of what I had gone through. Um, he was like, you know what? I don't, check, I don't need to, check, I don't need yeah. to ask you anything else. Um, you're gonna help people. Yeah. With with what you've been through, this no doubt will help somebody out there. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, he immediately signed off on it. And went up to my chief and Benningfield, our CFM at the time, career functional manager at the time. He calls me directly and said, "Hey, I just signed your stuff. You're good to go." Um, you should be getting an email soon from AFPC with your school date. Yeah. So I got that. And, uh, but prior to this, um, I just want to share this with everybody out there that it's going through something. Um, I had a rough time as well with all the stress of what my son was going through. And, uh, there was a week there when I was given that five, that five year expectancy. There was a time during that week that I came in the office Every day, you know, just kind of, you know, how are you doing? Doing okay, doing okay. You know, the typical answer that people give when you ask them how they're doing. And I just would sit and I would just do my job. That was the only relief that I got from all the stress was just coming to work and just doing my job. But I wasn't really focusing on me. I was focusing on the mission and everybody else while I was drowning. And uh, thankfully, my supervisor, after like day three, came to me and she said, Hey, uh, what's going on? And I'll never forget. I just, I don't know why or, or why this happened or whatever, but I just blew up and I was telling her everything that was going on, that my son has a five-year life expectancy. How am I even supposed to live right now? Uh, I'm possibly getting out of the air force. I don't know what's going to happen in my career. I don't know how I'm going to afford the medical. I don't know how I'm going to afford a house. I don't know how, what job I'm going to get. All this stuff was just compiling on me. And, um, she just listened. She didn't give any advice she didn't didn't say hey you're wrong um you you, you got to lower your voice she didn't do any of that she just let me be she just let me vent and uh later on that afternoon my first sergeant came and said hey how are you doing and i was like i'm doing okay i'm doing okay and he's like hey i want to see you in my office in five minutes and i was like is everything okay and he's like yeah i just want to talk to you just want to see see how you're doing yeah it's like okay so I went to his office and he said, hey, you know, I've noticed this week you're not your usual self. You're not smiling anymore. You're not really talking to anybody. It just seems like you're just doing the job. You're just going through the motions of life. You're not living. Yeah. And uh, I was like, wow, you know, you're, 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 you're right. And I kind of told him the same thing that I told my supervisor. And uh, he said, so who do you want to talk to? And I was like, no, I don't, I don't want to talk to anybody. I'm, I'll, I'll be okay. He's like, well, I'm not really asking you. I'm telling you, you should probably go talk to somebody. Yeah. So who do you feel comfortable with? Cause I don't feel comfortable with you leaving my office. And I was like, understood. So he, he, uh, tossed out mental health and I said, you know, I know they're a valuable asset. Um, but I, I don't know if they'd be able to really help me with given my circumstance, and I was like, I don't, I know their capabilities are usually like mental health, more so like um, suicidal ideations and stuff like that. And I just, I'm not there yet. And so I don't really feel like I should talk to them. Maybe an inflak. And I was like, well, they're more geared. I, I felt at the time that they were more geared toward like family relationships and counseling and that yeah. kind of thing. And so he mentioned the chaplain. And I was like, you know what? Growing up, I was, I was somewhat religious. So I was like, you know what? I'll, I'll go talk to the chaplain. Mm-hmm. So I'm thinking I'm gonna to get to leave this guy's office and I'm just gonna go back to my desk and do my job he immediately gets on the phone with the chaplain oh. and he's like hey <laughs> this individual is coming over to see you do you have time yeah like, yeah sure send him over so I drove myself over and I had a two hour long conversation with that chaplain and I just cried and everything and and just laid it all out there for him yeah and I felt terrible afterwards I was like man that that poor guy's probably like dear, dear <laughs> Lord that guy's going through a lot yeah um but it helped me and so during all of the stuff that I went through, and and uh, I realized that it's temporary; mm-hmm. it doesn't last forever. And another thing that I learned, and this was during one of the stays of the Donna House, um, there was a, a couple um, who lost their son after seventy-two hours oh. of birth, and uh, they came, and it was like a family there. Everybody kind of comes, and as soon as they walk in the door, they're bawling and. You know, everybody kind of gathers around him and starts hugging on him and everything. And um, we asked, you know, what happened. And he uh, said that they had lost their son after 72 hours of life. And uh, he said, you know, one thing that I realized being, especially here at the McDonald House, is that somebody has it better and somebody has it worse. So, like, everybody's situation in here is obviously really, really bad. And so I feel bad for even sharing or or laying this on everybody. But I realized that somebody has it better than we do right now, but somebody has it worse than we do right now. Yeah. And that stuck with me. And, uh, the other thing was through this, um, is that sharing brings about healing. So talking about what you're going through with other people, a lot of people want to kind of suppress it or keep it to themselves. But the most important thing that you can do is, is share. Because through your sharing, somebody else may have gone through something similar or something that may have been worse than what you're going through. And so through them being willing to share and open up, now you've created connectivity and connectedness with somebody that you otherwise wouldn't have been connected with. Yeah. And so that's super powerful. And uh, so that's why I share my story. And so as as a supervisor, as a wingman, as a friend... Uh, anytime somebody says, Hey, you got a second. I don't hesitate. Um, I've done that before and it hasn't ended well. Um, and so I I don't hesitate. I just stop what I'm doing and I'm like, Hey, uh, yeah. what do you, what do you got? What do you need? Yeah. And if it's, you know, work related. Okay, cool. If it's not, if it's something of a personal issue, I just sit and listen. Yeah. Um, there's so much power in just being active and listening to somebody, talk or vent or whatever they want to do with no fear of reprisal just let them be mm-hmm. let it let them vent because I, you may be that last person that they reach out to to vent to yeah and by you continuing on with work or continuing that email or continuing um that duty instead mm-hmm. of giving them your attention um and, and i understand work you know obviously is important but finish up the email. Don't let them leave your office. Just have them yeah. on standby or put them in a chair and just say, hey, I'm just wrapping this up real quick. And then once I finish that, you have my full attention. If you have, That's if you have to, though. If you have to. Yeah, I'm like you.
0: Normally, if someone comes and says, do you have a second cat yes. card comes out, I take it in my phone and put it off to the side. And I and I swivel my chair and I say, yes. yes and sir. I'm just, I'm on I'm on you now. What,
1: what, what can I do for yes. you? Yeah, that's, but yeah, if you have to, go the other route, too. So. Yes, sir. Because that one incident where... You don't stop that one incident. They'll say based off of that one sign or that one thing, that one person saying, "No, can you come back later?" or "Hey, I don't have time right now." That one thing will they'll they'll come up with the assumption of nobody, yeah, the power where nobody cares about me. It,
0: it's almost like um I mean, it, it, you you probably deal with this louder. You can correct me if I'm wrong, but people don't like to ask for help because they don't think anyone cares. Correct. And that is almost like that, what's that? Um, confirmation bias when they're, yes. they they see that one sign and they're like, see, yep. nobody cares. Exactly. You know what I
1: mean? Yeah, Absolutely. So, yes, sir. And, um, that, and it might be their last. Yeah. Yes, and, uh, so yeah, anytime, as a friend, if somebody trusts you enough to come and talk to you about something, finish up that email. Don't let them leave. Just tell them to stand by. You'll only be a minute. And uh, as soon as they're you're done finishing up that task. Just give them their, your undivided attention. Mm-hmm. And if they're talking about something and you don't know how to help them uh, directly, then you can always refer them to one of the helping agencies that I mentioned. MFLAC, Military One Source is really good. Mental Health is really good. The Chaplain Corps is really good. And even us as the Chaplain Corps, we, we don't always have all the answers, but we know we can get you in contact with those people that mm-hmm. do. And so that's a, a great thing, and you have one hundred percent total confidentiality if you talk to myself or somebody else in our office. Yeah. So well, and then the other, I think the other
0: key thing is, is uh, your shirt was smart. He didn't just say, "Here's the number, call him." Yes. He, I, I, I I would be willing to bet he probably did at one point, and then someone someone kind of got him, so yes, he was sir. smart enough at that point to say, "Oh, okay, I'll call and make an appointment right now," and you would have to drive over there. Yes, sir. So so with saying that, yeah, don't just say, "Hey, you should go yeah, talk to right. this person." Like if yes. they. You know, physically contact take them, them there or, or call them, them. yeah make sure that they for
1: sure they get there for sure yeah that was i thought that was really smart on your shirts part. yes sir uh yeah for sure so but okay. uh yeah my son uh is perfectly healthy now he's 10 years old yeah so and, you were uh, saying that great. everything just kind of went whoop. so uh we so i got removed got cross-trained i was doing my job there at, uh Back at Tyndall, I was an interim, if you will, interim chaplain assistant. I didn't have the title yet because I was waiting school. But Once I finished school, um, we got orders to Lackland, mm-hmm. to San Antonio, Texas. And the reasoning for that was the medical facilities yeah, uh, a and spot. the big research hospital, Baylor, yep. was there. And so uh, we got to meet with the number one immunologist geneticist in the country, wow. Dr. Orange. And I'll never forget mm-hmm. the first appointment. So there was a test that Caleb is my son's name, Caleb, uh, needed a procedure done and it was a $10,000 test that at the time Tricare wouldn't cover because of how extensive it was. Mm-hmm. And so, um, Baylor, when we got out there and met with the doctor, <clears throat> he said, uh, you know, Tricare doesn't cover this currently, but then the process of covering it, but to the sensitivity and the time, time, uh, given on your son, uh, we want to figure out what's going on. So, let me give me 10, 15 minutes. I'm going to go talk to my other doctors, all my directors, and see what we can do. So, we're sitting there and, you know, we're, we're nervous, yeah. obviously, and anxious about what they're going to Another say. Another one of those 24 minute periods. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah. yeah, about 30 minutes is what it ended up being. Yeah. And uh, they came back in and he said, you know, Tricare doesn't cover this. And we were like, yep, we, we already went through this. And he goes, so the folks at Baylor have decided. All my staff here have decided that we're going to run this as a research, oh, given wow. your son's uh, unique circumstances. Mm-hmm. But the bad news is you're going to have to come back tomorrow morning because we can't take his blood right now. Gotcha. They needed 13 vials of blood, which is, uh, was oh, the max wow. that they could take from such a young patient. Yeah. That's and a lot so, for. Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, we went home. I went to the hotel. And uh, the next morning, they took the blood, and they said, we'll have the results in about three or four months. So we went, went home and uh, got a phone call in December, actually. Um, and they said, hey, we need to see you guys tomorrow. We got all your results back. Yeah. So we met with the doctor, and he said, uh, so first of all, I want to say that there's no medical explanation behind this whatsoever. Um, we have found out. You know some information some valuable information about your son um but from a medical standpoint we can't explain it uh it doesn't make any sense to us mm-hmm. but we're here to tell you that your son is 100 percent across the board healthy wow. his antibodies are higher than in, than an adults right now wow and we were both dumbfounded like how is that even possible yeah <laughs> this kid has been on immunoglobulin and all these other medications yeah. like how is this even possible and uh He said, the only thing I can tell you is that if you're a people of faith or, you know, somebody out there is looking out for him because there is no medical reasoning why he is healthy. Yeah. None at all. Makes zero sense. And he was like, uh, we did a full genetic makeup, full molecular uh, makeup on him, and a full blood panel. And everything across the board doesn't show any signs of mental illness, doesn't show any signs of... uh, chromosomal or molecular structure How old is he at this point he was three years old okay so it was pretty far into the and, whole thing yes yeah. sir it was it was pretty far in and so uh that lasted the whole time frame from beginning to end was from he was eight weeks old all the way until he was 30 okay. wow and, uh, he said his first word at 36 week or 36 months, sorry, mm-hmm. which was dad, dad. And it was super delayed. Dad, dad. Yeah. And then, um, then he first took, he took his first steps at three and a half. Okay. And they said that he would be delayed because of everything that he had gone through. Yeah. So the yeah, yeah. hospital stays, he just didn't get to live a normal life. Right. And so his speech was impaired and stuff like that. So we were seeing, uh, physical therapy, um, speech therapist and occupational therapy. And he was seeing all three of those um, for a good stint there as well. Wow! But now he's completely grown out of it. He, he wow. talks like a normal child now, and that took some time. Yeah, yeah. Um, till he was about six or between six and eight years old, he finally started kind of coming around to, to speaking like you and I, if, if you will. Right, right. So, wow. But yes, sir. Wow. So, so that's.
0: This is quite a story, man. I kind of feel like I did last time. I'm just sitting here, like I don't really know what to say, you know. Um, but so, um, a question I, I do have is: is How has this helped you in your current job now?
1: Oh, just out of uh, curiosity, exponentially. I mean, yeah. Um, when when I share my story or people hear about my story. Um, I think kind of like what you were talking about before the the podcast started is uh, I think a lot of people, when they're going through something, they think they're alone Mm -hmm. in it. And I think also like hearing other people that have gone through something worse than maybe they're experiencing, Mm -hmm. they they kind of put it in perspective and are like, well, what I'm going through isn't as bad as it could be. It could Mm -hmm. be worse. And that's kind of what I was going to to say too is – You know, that's why I learned or that's where I learned, you know, somebody always has it better. Somebody always has it worse. Yeah. But yeah, I would say um, it's definitely helped me in in my current career, um, just being willing to share my story. Yeah. And especially coming from Lackland and being attached to DMT and tech Mm -hmm. school and also installation ministries or the permanent party side of things. um, When I would share, you know, my story to the trainees that are there for eight and a half weeks and a lot of times, our TI doesn't use that leverage or use that as their leverage yeah. to kind of connect with their trainees. Right. But it it just it ultimately just creates immediate connection connectedness because you're as you are vulnerable. People might say something behind your back, um, bad or good about you. Yeah. You know, it does open you up to vulnerability. But as long as I can help one person, then my vulnerability is. Is worth it? Yeah. Um, Dude. So. so, what do you think? And again, I'm just these
0: are questions just coming coming into my head now. What What do you think this has done for your? Do you have any other kids? I do. You
1: I do. do? How many other kids do you have now? So, uh, I have my oldest son, who's Luke, and he was born perfectly healthy. Okay. he's 13; just turned 13 this month. So, and uh, so I you had younger. a three year old while all this was going on in the yes, beginning. Sir. Wow. Okay. Sure. Okay. Yes, sir. And uh, kind of a, another interesting thing: kids are so resilient. and, Sometimes we undermine their their uh, resiliency. Yeah, but uh, you know, overcoming so much as an older brother, seeing his his younger brother go through that, uh, he actually learned to read at the Ronald McDonald House at four years old. Wow! Um, And he was sitting in. in, He was going to school, obviously, but um, being away from school, he wasn't really going to school or anything like that. So we brought him like this little tablet thing. And it teaches them to point to the words and it reads it for them. I think it's called the leapfrog. So he would do that. And then next thing we know, he's laying in bed and he starts uh, reading Sam I Am to himself. And my my wife and I, at the time, we were in a conversation, mid-conversation. I overhear him talking and I was like, hold on a second. I think he's reading. (laughs) And sure enough, he was reading. And And so, yeah, kids are just super resilient, and given all the circumstances, he had every reason to be like, you know what, like, I'm done, I'm checked out, I need to focus on my brother. He could have done that, but he also took some time to focus on himself as well. And seeing that, too, I think was a little inspirational for me. Like, wow, you know, given the circumstances of all the chaos and all the craziness going on, to just take a second to realize, you know, he's focusing on himself. Yeah. Yeah. So we should start focusing on us a little bit more. Yeah. To, yeah. That's pretty crazy. Um, so, so how many other kids do you have besides the two? So I have uh, another son named Carter, and then I have a stepdaughter who's who's uh, nine. Okay. So. so what do you think this has done for your family, connecting this? Um, so to be honest with you, so uh, once he was given a complete clean bill of health, uh-huh. uh, my wife and I at the time, we had just – lost all connectedness together mm-hmm. um we were really really strong during that time but I think going through that and all our focus and attention being on him so much mm-hmm. uh, when he was given that clean bill of health we realized we we kind of started coming back together as a family or as a unit and during that time we realized we weren't the same right we weren't mm-hmm. the same person anymore that we were going into it we weren't the same people. Um, we, it was like living with a stranger, wow. to be honest, it was, it was so unique and so interesting. I, I didn't, it was like, I didn't know who I married and she didn't know who she married And it. it Cause you so all, you all were focused on correct. something else completely. Yes, sir. Completely outside of us. And okay. so, um, that's another thing that I can't stress enough is like during that, you have to also focus on each other.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: take, like you just said, take some time yes. for yourselves and yourselves yes. as a unit too. Correct. Yeah. Correct. Yeah. well wow. that's what we had lost during that time during uh, about a year and a half if you will yeah was that connectedness of staying engaged with each other and what each other was going through in our experiences. Um, we really didn't share that we just shared about him yeah you know and so we, we totally forgot about who we were mm-hmm. as, a, as a person you know you kind of lose track of, of yourself because you're so focused on what's going on around you that you lose focus of you. And so by the time we came back together, it was like I had changed from this experience. She mm-hmm. had changed from this experience. And, and it changed us and, and our um, way of thinking, mm-hmm. the way that we did things, the way that we parented, everything completely changed. Wow. And so uh, we weren't the same people. Yeah. And so we grew apart. And uh, unfortunately, ultimately, our marriage dissolved. Mm. Sorry, and yeah. uh, But mm-hmm. I can say that I've, I've remarried and uh, my, my wife now. Her name is Taylor, and I can't thank her enough, enough for her support. And uh, she's she's heard my story, yeah. and uh, she can't believe it. Uh, she's like, Wow, it's just so crazy. I can't imagine. Um, especially, you know, her having a daughter. She's like, I can't imagine what I would have done if, if she were to go through something like that. Yeah. Or our son Carter was to go through something like that. She's like, I don't know what I would do. Yeah. Um, and one thing I keep stressing, too, is, you know, it's it's important for us. To, to stay together and us to be on the same track and same page because the kids are an afterthought, if you will, mm-hmm. because if we're not strong together, then our kids are going to see that yep. and they're going to start either acting out or doing their own thing and acting out in their own ways or doing things in their own ways. Mm-hmm. Um, but if they see that we're on the same page and we're connected and we're focused on each other, we can love them better.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's almost like uh, we're, always, we're always telling people: is, is you have to take, again take make yourself strong, take care of yourself. Yes. So that way, other people you can take care of them as well. Yeah. That's yes. true. So, so um, man, so that's, so you you were a, a young airman trying yes, to sir. figure out this air force thing. Yes, I'm sir. assuming in your marriage you probably were young as yes, well, sir. and you had a, a three year old already. Yes. Sir. And then this happened with your with your son Caleb. And it wasn't like a couple of weeks; it was yes, this sir, span sir. for years. Yes, sir. So what? What kept you so in the beginning? It sounds yes, like sir. once you got to retrain and went to the Chaplains Corps, that helped keep yes. your resilience. But up until that point, what? What? Like what? Were you like? How, how did you? How did you? A lot of people I know, including myself, probably would have folded pretty early on, but you didn't seem to. So what?
1: What? How, how can you explain that? So a couple of things kept me grounded. Um, so get, so my time. my my father had a rough upbringing, mm-hmm. and he would oftentimes share with us about his upbringing and everything and so as a young kid, I, I think I kind of learned to be resilient mm-hmm. and know that um, life is tough, and he used to always preach that to us too like life is tough. you know you're not going to be given anything. you have to earn everything yeah. that you get you don't you don't take anything from anybody. nothing's free. Um, the road will take advantage of you. People will use you, abuse you, etc., And then they'll leave you. Yeah. And, uh, so he told me, I had always explained to me, don't become too attached to anything mm-hmm. because anything can change. And so always have a backup plan. Always be ready for the next step. Always be forward thinking, always be looking ahead. And, uh, so some of that kept me grounded. Mm-hmm. Um, my faith, it, it kept me grounded as well. Okay. Again, I had mentioned, you know, growing up in a household, I, I grew up with faith and religion and things. Um, a lot of people think when when they come to the chapel that we're going to, you know, the chaplains are going to preach to them or use Bible verses. Actually, that's, that's inaccurate information. Mm-hmm. Um, if anything, they're just going to sit and listen to you. They're going to talk to you. Unless you, they may ask you, you know, do you practice a particular faith? Do you mind if I share my personal right. faith with you or, or what got me through tough times? And so some of that kept me grounded um, in my work ethic. Uh, my work ethic, I think, kept me grounded some as well. And just uh, ultimately knowing that no matter what happens to me, it's all going to work out. Um, I don't know how it's going to work out. You know, as I said, I didn't have a plan if I was to be separated. Uh, I didn't know how it was going to work out, but I knew that it was going to work out. Mm -hmm. Um, And I knew that what we were going through was temporary. Even if uh, our son was to pass away, obviously there would be a lot of grief there and a lot of hurt, um, a lot of turmoil. Um, But ultimately, like, I knew that I was going to make it through that um when life pushes you you just you gotta push back you you can't let things overrun you or rule you um that's something else that my dad used to always say like don't don't let other people tell you who you are you know who you are stick to that um and when people try to knock you down or tell you things don't listen to them words are words people you know uh words my dad used to always say words or talk is cheap yep and so uh when when my supervision and all that were coming, kind of having issues with me, if you will. Um, that's what I was reminded of is hey, talk is cheap. You know, talk is cheap. Don't listen to it. Keep pressing on. And so that's what I did. And my dad um, was a boxer. And so when Rocky Five came out, and that's another thing that I really like to talk about too is uh, when I share my story, is Rocky Five and the, the conversation he has with his son mm-hmm. and said, you know, life isn't all sunshine and rainbows. Life is tough. It's gonna to knock you down. It's gonna beat you up. Yeah. It's not how many times you get knocked down, but it's how many times you get back up and you keep moving forward and you yeah. keep pushing. and You keep striving. And so uh, I grew, grew up. I played football as a young kid, only for one season. But um, that's something that I learned was, hey, you, ha- you get knocked down. They're gonna the, the other guys are gonna knock you down. Yeah. But you got to get back up. You got to get back in the game. Yeah and so it's I funny think, you say
0: so football helped me too it's a part of the game you're yes, going to get knocked down it's correct. not even like a, oh it might no. happen it's, yes, it's in the game yes. but you have to get back up and go on to the next play yeah
1: that's good and, and, and a lot of times when, when things happen to people they want to just be like it's overwhelming it's too much I don't know what to do mm-hmm. and so one thing that I, I found myself doing quite a bit was meditating mm-hmm. um, I would sit when I would be holding my son when he was attached to all that equipment and everything um, I remember holding him and just um, meditating with him in my arms, and just uh, thinking on positive things. And just kept had to keep reminding myself because nobody else was doing it for me. I had to remind myself that this is temporary. This is temporary. It, it's only going to last a season. Whether he lives or, or passes away, it's only going to last a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was times when I was like, "Man, like this is too much." Just, just. Do what you're going to do. You know, it's, it's too much to to bear. Right. And, uh, that's when I kind of started opening up and sharing with people what I was going through and experiencing. And through doing that, I found other people were going through something similar Mm -hmm. or worse. And so that, that's when I was like, oh, now I have somebody I can go and talk to or vent to that understands. Right. Because when you're going through something like that, it's like, nobody else is going to understand what I'm going through. They're not going to be able to comprehend. They're not going to be able to relate to that.
0: Yeah. Um, well, you know,
1: and, and it, it made my blood boil when you
0: said that flight chief told you your vacation's over and it's time, you know, this, like, yes. that probably didn't help either, thinking no. that that's what he thinks, so that's what everyone else must think, you yes, know, sir. so yeah, yeah,
1: that that's... Yeah. And there, there was uh, people that... that we're talking bad about me on the yeah. line that I worked with, you know, calling me a dirt bag and, yeah. and all this and you're dodging work or wow. You, you finally showed up when I would come back to work. They'd be like, Oh wow. You look who finally showed up and they'd start clapping and stuff. Um, but then I had other people that were really knew the whole picture, knew what yeah. was going on that. Uh, one time I was like, well, like I kind of had to break up a fight that was about to happen because of my situation. I was like, well, like let's not do that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, this is my my situation. Like I don't I don't want you guys fighting over me and he's like, "Well, this guy's wrong." And I was like, "I get that, but that's what that's his pers- perspective, that's yeah. his perception. You know the reality. I know the reality. Though he they just don't understand. They don't get it because they haven't gone through something like this." Mm-hmm. And uh, something that I had to explain to people was they I don't know if it was the chemicals. I don't. Nobody does. Yeah. Uh, what we were told was that my son, when he came out, it was like point zero 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 one chance that he would come out and have these issues. And I was like, so your kids are probably fine. Your family members are probably going to be fine. Everybody's going to be okay. It just yeah. so happened that I was dealt a crappy hand, and that's just how it is. Yeah. That's life. Not, nothing is fair. That's something else that my dad used to always yep. tell me. Life isn't fair. God, I don't I wonder if your dad and my dad knew each other.
0: <laughs> right. He, my dad, just say all the time. One of the other things was uh, life sucks. Get a helmet, as in like just yeah. get, get a helmet, man, and just push yeah. through. Because yeah. <laughs> yeah. So wow. So, so I can't. I can't believe people would be like that. Well, you know, I shouldn't say that as an airman. And nothing against airmen, but they don't always know what's going on. and They think that they do, and so that they're going to. Even, I shouldn't even say airmen, NCOs and senior NCOs apparently, too, just think they know what's going on and they don't. Um, so that, that's an important lesson I've taken away is you don't know what's going on.
1: So, they just have a different uh, you know, mentality or different perception. Yep. Yeah. Um, and that's no fault of their own. Uh, when, you know, when my flight chief and my superintendent and, and uh, squadron, some of my squadron leadership, you know, they grew up in a different air force, if you will, where things were a little different. And even since I've been in it, it's changed. Yeah. Um, but you know, something that is really, really important across the board is um, just, you don't have to understand what somebody's going through. You just have to be available. Yeah. It's more about availability. Yeah. Than I it think we've gotten better answering. at that over the years. Yes. I, I think personally. Yeah. No, yeah. We, we, have.
0: We, we definitely teach people to be
1: available, yes. don't assume things, and, and listen to somebody they're talking to you yes about sir. something. Yeah. Though, cause, yeah. My situation to some, it's like, wow, like that's a pretty big deal to other people. They might be like, well, I've gone through way worse than that. And, and that's no, again, no fault or anything like that. Just, mm-hmm. you know, everybody's story is different. Yeah. People go through different things. And so um, just knowing that and understanding that. So even if it's somebody's pet, because I know like I've had friends that lose pets and they ball and they're crying on the phone. Mm -hmm. and saying hey my dog just died after 15 years i've had this since i was you know a child and and now i'm an adult and they my dog just passed yeah and so for them like that's a huge deal yeah but for somebody else they maybe look at it and be like get over it man like suck it up like you said like suck it up like get a helmet yeah (laughs) yeah, yeah. Uh, but uh just being sympathetic and empathetic goes a long way yep um because you just – yeah, you don't know how it's going to affect them. You don't know and, –
0: and, you know, take the dog dying for an you know, example. Um, my wife, her, her mother just passed away this last year. And then right when she got back, our dog died. So that hit her even harder because she just – you know, this other thing just happened. And so it was just like one – and then COVID hits and one thing on top of the other. So, yeah, so if you were to just – you know, if she were to be upset and she would tell you, oh, my dog died, it really wasn't the dog. It was right. all this other stuff going on. That just happened to be – this this extra thing piled on top you know mm-hmm. so yeah that's
1: a good that's a good lesson there too and, and that's something else too um, that I wanted to share was um, if you suppress it it'll eventually come out yes and so um, unhealthily mostly yes yeah most likely yeah. Unhe- in an yes. unhealthy way yeah and so uh, what I always tell people if you're going through something and you're suffering through grief or loss or um, you know an experience similar or worse than mine is um, just ride the wave um whatever that grief is whether it comes out in anger or or whatever crying or do do whatever you got to do and Mm -hmm. and ride it don't don't fight it don't try to suppress it because the more you suppress it eventually it's going to come out and so uh i'm sure you've probably heard you know you'll be driving on the road and a song will come on or something and it'll take you back to a memory and you'll have to pull off to the side of the road and just cry yeah and uh I've had experiences like that where I suppressed something like I couldn't deal with it at the time. And so I was like, you know what? I'm going to compartmentalize it and then I'll forget about it. Yeah. And so as men, we're really good about that compartmentalizing things. Yeah. And so I would compartmentalize that. And uh, one, one example is uh, I had a good friend of mine um, who committed suicide on September 11th of 2018. Sorry about that. And uh, I compartmentalized it because I couldn't deal with it at the time. I knew I couldn't go home for his funeral. I was at Tully Air Base and uh, completely remote and isolated and everything mm-hmm. else. And so, uh, again, just kind of compartmentalized and let it go. And then uh, a song will come on and it will remind me of him and our days that we had. And uh, I, I would start crying, and I was like, man, what's going on? And then I, it, his memory would pop up, and I was like, man, I should have dealt with that. I should have handled that better. Mm-hmm. I should have just given the time instead of compartmentalizing it, I should have just given that the time it needed to grieve, to feel the hurt and the loss of a, of a really good friend and just let it all out. Because then I could carry on and, and, you know, normal day ops, if you will. Yeah. And, and just be solid. Yeah. And so since I suppress that, it's like, man, now it comes out <laughs> and it's like, and, and the, the interesting thing about what you just said is, is how,
0: tough it is to do that with all the stuff you went through with your son you would think that you knew that and would do it but even still you're still you're still hesitant to do it because it's just it's just human nature it's very hard to do that for sure Um, you you know I really appreciate you sharing this story Um, and I want to be respectful of your time you look you're on leave right now (laughs) so I appreciate you coming in on your off time Um, the the reason I like your story and we kind of talked about this beforehand is there's a lot there's a lot to it Uh, number one is um, it, it's okay to ask for help. Like, you know what I mean? And, 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 and I guess on the flip side of that is it's okay to tell someone they need some help because they might not realize it. You know, Correct. they might be going to a spot where they don't even know what's happening. Mm-hmm. And um, But on the flip side of that, it's okay to accept the help that that that's, that's available. Sure. Um, not even in the military, even outside Correct. the military, you know. And then the other thing I like about your story is, like you said, it helps it – helps like that day you told it, it helped me put some things that was going on in my life into perspective. And this is not to say that, like we just talked about, you know, a dog dying to somebody is going to be way more devastating than somebody else. But like you said, there's always somebody who's got it worse or better. And it's not to say that what you're going through, whatever anyone's going through at the time, is is should you know just brush it off and walk away because someone else has it worse. But it's you're it's going to be okay. Like you're going to get through this. Um, and there are people out there that do understand what you're going through. So yes, when you find them, like, glob on and reach out to them. Oh, uh, yes. So sure. um, um, w- w- what I would like you to do is is just
1: if you want to leave everybody with maybe two or three pieces of advice that you could give to them. Yes, sir. So, yeah, what I would tell people, uh, three things that I would tell people that are going through something is uh, nobody is immune from from life and circumstances that happen. We all go through things. Um, no matter how insignificant it may seem or how small it may seem to somebody, it's a big deal in somebody else's life. And so having said that, just be willing and open to listen to them and be empathetic and sympathetic to what they share and tell you. Uh, the other thing is, is just to remind yourself, somebody always has it better and somebody always has it worse. And then the third thing is just, uh, keep pushing on, keep pushing through. Uh, you will make it through it. This is only temporary. I know you've probably heard that a lot, but it really is temporary. Um, even if worst case scenario were to happen, it's only temporary. Give yourself time to grieve, um, process what's going on or what has transpired. Give yourself time to process that and, uh, grieve however that comes out. Um, just allow it to happen and, um, just just uh, go, through the, go through the motions, um, ride the wave of emotion and know that whatever you're feeling right now is okay, uh, especially given the circumstances that we're currently in as a nation, as a country and as a world. Um, just know that whatever emotion you're feeling is completely okay. It's completely normal. I know we all probably have had times where we're feeling anxious or um, not, not have the best outlook on the future. Um, but just know that what we are going through as a nation, as a country, we are, um, we are going to make it through it. We just may not know when exactly, but we are going to make it through this as well. And so just, um, uh, remain connected to each other. Uh, if you don't have people that you can contact, you can always come by the chapel, contact one of the other helping agencies I mentioned, uh, Military One Source, FLAC Mental Health. Um, they are all great resources. If you don't, if you don't feel comfortable talk, contacting one of them, contact a family or a friend, um, and just stay connected. Uh, and that's all I have. Thank you so much for allowing me to share. I, I appreciate you sharing
0: that, sir. Ken. Seriously, that was really good. Um, I, I think that people are going to get a lot out of this. So, um, all right. Well, uh, thanks everyone for listening, uh, and until next time. Well, that's it for this episode of Refuel Team Fairchild. If you have show ideas people you'd like to hear from, or if you'd like to be on the podcast, email us at fafbcaa at gmail.com.